could have afforded when I was alive. And I ain't dead yet. Let me wear that suit right now. There ain't nobody gonna see it when I'm locking that box underneath the ground. Yeah, we got Martin here with us again today, and we are talking about first and foremost this race that you did recently. Uh, what is it called? The Rock Cobbler? Yeah, it was super cool. I got an opportunity to do the Rock Cobbler out in Bakersfield, California. And completely very by random accident. Yeah, pretty much. Totally, totally. Uh, what were I, you out there for originally? I had to go out to uh, Morgan Hill for work, um, just for some specialized stuff. We're doing just a team meeting and. And uh, kind of doing some team bonding and getting some work done. So I ended up having to go out there uh, instead of Tucson. I think my plan was to originally go down to Tucson, which is about four hours away. And uh, I found out, I went on Bike Reg. I found out that there was this race happening called the Rock Cobbler. Uh, it was like the Rock Cobbler 9.0. I knew nothing about it. And then uh, uh, it was full, full since like November. You know, 500 people on the registration and uh, completely How long was full. It? So it was kind of ambiguous. I think they advertised it as 80 miles, but it was, I think it ended up being like 89 or 90. Really? Or close to that maybe. Uh, which, hey, I'm not complaining about whatsoever, dude. Um, but it was totally full. I just sent the dude an email and uh, just sent him some email. Shout out to Sam, uh, the guy who runs the race. And um, yeah, about midway through that week and on Thursday, race was Saturday. He, he uh, shot me an uh, email, let me know I was in. And, um, and I remember we had the call because you, you called me on Monday. You were asking you know, how much training can we really realistically fit into this week? And, uh, oh, by the way, I might also be doing a five-hour race on Saturday. Totally. And then how much can I do if that's the case? And so we kind of had a, a bandwidth. And then on Thursday, I think it was, you called me and you were like, by the way, I'm doing that race. <laughs> and we were like, okay, you're uh, – you're definitely not, you know, fresh as a daisy, but should be okay. You know, go out there and have fun, you know, keep your expectations in check. Totally. I think my plan was just to go as deep as I can, use it as some training. Uh, I live in Flagstaff, right? So it's kind of winter and I was using this little, I think I ended up staying out in California for 10 days. I have a little camper van that mm. I'm able to travel with. So Slept on some streets in Morgan Hill for a day or two to get some training in before Specialized put me up at the, the hotel and uh, was taken as a training block. So even if even if I did get into this race, I think we worked on the assumption maybe that I wasn't going to get in. Yeah. And uh, I, even if we did, it was just going to be for training. And I didn't really know anything about this race. I don't think anybody did no. until after the weekend. But uh, it no. was... And, and one of the things that we found out via social media not too long after was about the Bulls. Yeah. That's the big one. That's the big one. <laughs> That's the big one, right? Uh, I think uh, so. For anyone who hasn't seen it, right uh, at the Rock Cobbler, it, you know the Rock Cobbler is a super cool race in that it's in Bakersfield, place you know maybe you don't necessarily hear about it as much in California, and it's tucked away, uh, you know, in some cattle fields basically. Um, and this race is advertised as being through private cattle lands. You know, you pay for this race and. You get to ride this route and you'll never get to ride this route again until maybe next year. Some of it is in the next iteration of the race. It's totally on private land. You sign a waiver that you're going to be riding through private cattle lands mm -hmm. and uh, whatever that could mean. And other private and roads. For some folks, that meant getting absolutely thrown off their bike by a raging yes. bull. Yes. That was fantastic. I mean, there was. I think it, it was, was four, four. Four people total, four if, I'm, people. If, if I'm not wrong. Man encountered we'll, the bull we'll, we'll be sure to uh repost that video if it's not like taken off the internet i mean it's pretty much it's been all over the news. yeah dude, I think they've interviewed like, the guy oh, Let, really? let's be clear right off the bat i think it's very important to say that everybody was okay all four of the individuals were down at the after party afterwards yeah, nobody died nobody died you know three of the four finished the race i believe Oh, okay. Great. Um, only one didn't, but everyone was drinking beers afterwards, good. having a good time. So, so everyone was, was okay. Fine. I think it's important to say because it was crazy. When you that see that the happened. video, you're like, man, is he, uh, 
I mean, it kind of looks like getting hit by a car because it's basically like getting hit by a car. Exactly. <laughs> Those bulls are no joke. They're uh, big. Think, and they eye you from, from quite a bit away. And it's and not like so it's an they, obstacle. Well, or that, that, was like my, that. that was my question. Like, there was people standing around. There was obviously footage caught of this. Were the bulls on the trail? Uh, trail's a weird way to call it, uh, gotcha. right? It, you're just kind of riding these random transportation lines, right? Like, it's not even gravel. What? It's not even trail. You're, it's whatever whatever way that, like, whatever they use to, tra- to like, walk around out there or, like, get to different cattle lands or, you know, maybe they're taking, like, a four by four. So, it's kind of, like, totally off-road. So, you're more or less taking cattle trails. Exactly. You're basically taking cattle trails. So, you <laughs> encounter a lot of these animals. Um, I wasn't around when any of these things happened. Yeah. Um, I, it wasn't until weeks later. I mean, somebody, one of one of our other family members, uh, shout out to Randy, sent me the video. Yeah, <laughs> DM'd it to me on Instagram. He was like, "Yo, check this out." And then I was I was telling you about it, and you were like, "Yeah, that was the race I was at last week." I was like, yeah. What, what, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was quite crazy. I mean, that was the talk of it afterwards, and I think it blew up. You know, that's crazy. After. Yeah. And it, I it's think like that with the bulls, you know. Sam, uh, the the guy who runs the race, posted a video after making sure you know to, to let every let the community know that everybody was fine. And, yeah, and uh, I, that I was nine point And what I've been told is that ten point is going to be even crazier. And I know that that's going to be a race that's like immediately on my list uh, for next year because yeah. it was just one of the most fun rowdy times I've had on a bike. Uh, community was great. It was just such a cool cool yeah, event. So- and uh, I mean. I think uh, next year, uh, maybe there won't be bulls. Maybe there will be. Maybe that's part of it, right? The legend I, of the bull. I think it's kind of fun. He lives on. I think it's kind of fun. Yeah. I like it. You know, you don't, you don't have to ride at the bull. Just exactly. disclosure. I, that, know, I think, you know, I will say, no, knowing, I think that day got to like to 90, I think that day got to 93 degrees or so, something like that. It was pretty warm. And knowing how difficult that race was, I could understand why some people may have been uh, a little bit brain fogged. Uh, so tell us about it, that. What? Why? How? How did this race play out for you? Uh, for what me, were some of the things you encountered and people you saw. Yeah, well, for me it was interesting because I, I I took somebody's spot who at the last moment called out, so I was in the second wave. I think uh, the way they did it was wave starts. Uh, first wave was uh, you know the big dogs call ups and. Uh, bib numbers through 250. Second wave was that I was in the second wave, uh, which was five minutes behind. Mm. So for me, I think one of the one of the bulls got a guy in the first wave and then it skipped my wave maybe. <laughs> um, but um, for me, it was interesting because, you know, there was a few of us who wanted to get up there um, with the fast guys. So that was my objective kind of from the get-go was to do that. And we were able to do that successfully. So uh, it played out really well. I think I ended up 19th at the race, which was awesome. Mm. Uh, I think, uh, but it was a very difficult, difficult course. I think that's the best way to describe it. But, and they throw things at you that are super ridiculous. So I think in the last 10 miles of the, of the race, you have these two hiker bikes that are just kind of like ridiculous. You know, it's just hiker bikes that you have to like stop and turn around and look down while you're doing them. You know, maybe there's going a bike a hill or something. Yeah. Going up these mountains, these, these like cattle hills and cattle mountains up there. You're just kind of like climbing these, these huge 30% grades with your bike on your back. Somebody next to you is taking a break and maybe they lose grip of their bike and their bike starts rolling down the hill mm. and they throw these two of these in at the very end of this race, this totally brutal <laughs> race. Um, and at the top, of course, there's an awesome aid station, but just part of it. I think the whole spirit of the race is to really surprise you. Mm-hmm. It's a great mixture of single track. Uh, like I said, this undescribable sort of terrain that can be called cattle trail, I guess. And, yeah. and cowboy trail. It's kind of crazy. Um, and some really awesome paved descent. So it's really got a mix of everything, right? I think it's like mixed surface racing is what they're starting to call it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, that that that's what it was, right? A full on adventure. It was super super cool, and I really recommend it. I think it's a great event to go to if you're into that kind of stuff. And if you're not, and you want to give it a try. It's a great atmosphere to do it in. They also mm-hmm. have a, a shorter distance, so uh, I believe. You went into this basically quite fatigued, and then you 
took it on short notice and then you started in the second group five minutes down. Yes. So what was your, what was your mentality, you know, through the early part of the race? How did you, how did you work your way up to 19th? And then what were some of the things you encountered throughout the day? Yeah. Uh, initially there was a good group of us who was pushing the pace to sort of make that, make that early bridge. Yeah. Uh, and we had a few miles, uh, I can't say exactly on, you know, it was about 20 minutes of pavement, uh, that was started off as a slow roll kind of going into what was the first steep, uh, off-road sort of climb. Uh, so we really pushed the pace and we were able to see the end of the first group, mm-hmm. um, right as they hit that section. Right. And, uh, for us, it was just, it was just full on like full gas, uh, I mean, for me, it was getting close to threshold for for a good bit, 45 minutes maybe or so, just trying to get up there to those guys. And for me, my goal was to go as deep as I can and just test the waters. I have some big events that I'm that I'm uh, hoping to succeed at this year um, yes. if things go well. And it, I really just saw this as the first uh, test. Kind of a primer. Yeah, and I thought it was just super cool that I had an opportunity to even race this event. I had no idea I was going to do it. Yeah, you hadn't... D- there's nothing, there's not been anything else ultra endurance related for you. Yeah. Yet. And I think it was my second gravel race I'd ever done too. Are you serious? Yeah. At that point, uh, prison city gravel was my first and third was my first and third, uh, which just happened <laughs> 10 days ago. Funny enough. Um, but we, last year we stacked gravel towards the end of my calendar. We were going to do some gravel in August and September. And then I hit that tree and uh oh, right. was in a recliner for for uh four months there <laughs> so we didn't get an opportunity to race any more gravel last year um, right right and okay. this year my focus is to lean more towards the ultra uh gravel uh, endurance calendar and mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so i thought this was just a cool time cool chance to to go full out uh start feeling the sensations you know <laughs> yes. and uh yes. and and Fabulous. uh seeing how things fell and how the mind was. And, and I was uh, excited about the temperatures getting pretty high. Uh, again, just to see how my body was going to start reacting to those high temperatures, mm-hmm. um, start feeling it out. Um, so it was a cool, it was a great test. It was a great, great opportunity to test things out. So who did you, I mean, you were, you were with, uh, you were riding with the vegan cyclist at one point, And then, so there yeah. were some other big names that you came across. And I, I want to say in your training peaks comments afterward in the conversation that we tried to save until now was that yeah. there was essentially uh, a breakthrough moment there in that race for you. Can you talk more? Yes, about that? totally. Uh, and I have to apologize if I'm forgetting things, I'm pretty deep in a training camp now. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll pause where like you're, you're what you're 25 hours into a yeah, 25 hours in uh, six days in and hoping to push it a little bit more. We'll see. We'll see. 30's the mark <laughs> yeah. for tomorrow. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so it, it was it was super cool. About an hour after after the race, we made contact with what with what was the crumbling lead group, and the lead group had some huge names. So Peter Stetna showed up. Uh, Chris Blevins showed up. Yeah, um, shout out to Chris. Yeah, he raced it on a mountain bike. Oh, and of wow. course, there's shots of him doing wheelies up the climbs while Peter <laughs> Stetna and. Uh, a few other b- big names are back there chasing them. So yeah. those guys were leading the charge. The group started to crumble a little bit and we made contact with that group. Me and three other guys, I forget their names. Um, always great people at these gravel events though. And, and, uh, super cool spirited people. So right. me and these guys made contact with that group. It included the vegan cyclist. Uh, Ashton Lambie was a part of that group. Oh, yeah. Um, the shout out to yeah, Ashton. Yeah. Yeah. He was a super cool dude. I ended up riding a good amount of that race with him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I made contact with this group and I realized that I was starting to feel good. Right. And, and, and you that I was just good? starting to feel good. I, this was about an hour, an hour and 15 into this race. Dang. Um, what was going to be about five hours and 45, maybe six, six <laughs> hours, uh, in my head was where I was thinking. And I think that I, I ended up a little bit under that, uh, but it was going to be a long day. I started feeling good. And, um, and had know, those guys started in the first wave. Okay. Yeah, those guys did start in the first wave. So we had to make that 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 five minute gap up initially. Uh, <laughs> me and and I really do think it was just three, uh, me and two other guys who ended up making contact. One other guy from the second wave finished ahead of me. Okay. Um by a few minutes, uh, because I did crash. We'll get to that. <laughs> but uh but yeah, I, I this was a really cool opportunity for me because I didn't I didn't necessarily expect to be there. I didn't expect 
I didn't know anything about this race. I didn't expect there to be uh, the, you know, quote unquote, big names of gravel showing up Mm -hmm. starting their season. And it was a good opportunity for me. You know, I see myself um, succeeding uh, in this sport and it was a good opportunity to, for me, have a bit of a mental test. Right. And, and uh, see what it felt like to be out there racing with some fast guys, people that I, that I watch on YouTube or people Mm -hmm. that I, you know, watch break a world record on Instagram and, and, uh, it, I think it was like, yeah, I was right there. I was right there. And, and, uh, it, it sort of clicked for me that, that, that was something that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, about two hours in two and a half hours in, um, just pushing the pace and, and having a great time. Um, so how did that situation develop? I mean, of course, you know, if you start next to him, you get to ride next to him, but when you're two hours in to a five hour event, you know, how did that, how did that develop? Did you, were you able to maintain contact with that group? Yeah. So I made contact with that group about an hour and some change in, and we stuck together until about two and a half hours in. And it was just a group of about eight guys maybe who uh, had split off from the, from the main, main leaders. I think it was four or five at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking that somewhere in the middle of that group was Tinker Juarez, who's another guy I look up to a lot. I you know he's yeah. a, he's a super ripper, uh, Kind of the old OG, BMX right? dude. He's just like a yeah, OG mountain biker. Um, I think he's 62, still competing with the Woo! big guys and and still still putting out crazy training hours. And I mean, you hear him talking, he sounds so young. Just one of those dudes at some point he was there. He was there, uh, split off the main group. I think he had a mechanical and had to bail out, unfortunately. Um, but um, you know, made contact with this group, and at some point I realized that I felt just as good, or at least I, I, I felt like I was enjoying it more <laughs> than everybody else. I like that for me, I was just having a great time. It was such yeah. a cool course. I, I think I crashed once before that because I took a mountain bike line that ended in like a three foot, just Creek drop. <laughs> so I just like rode straight into it. Unfortunately got right back up. Everything was fine on that one and moved on, but I was, I was having a great time. It, oh it my was, God. Uh, for me, I, there's something you, so pure. Were you shaken up about that since you hadn't crashed since your last? Not about that one. That no. was just like one of those one of those moments. I, I was more worried that my wheel, my front wheel was. Did the was bike just go squarely okay. underneath you, or did you go over the bars? Or well, what? there was like a two foot or so gap that water had sort of run through at some point, gotcha. very aggressively. So it just created a bit of like I don't know. It was it was maybe three feet across, gotcha. two feet deep. A gap, not a drop. Basically a gap. But yeah. it, well, it ended up being a drop for me because I dropped into it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and my front wheel went straight into the just other like curb. Dug it. And yeah. I heard a big pop. I think I just burnt my front tire a tiny bit mm. at that point. But hey, we were all good. Hop right back on the bike and, and it was great. So I was just having a great time, really enjoying it. Did you lose any time? Uh, with that, I lost, uh, I, I lost a few seconds and had to give a little bit of an effort, but it was on a long single track. Uh, stretch and I'm I'm pretty good at that. So I was just yeah. having a good yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I I had to make a decision whether I would try to go over it or not. And I think <laughs> uh, I think I made the right call because my bike survived at that point. Yeah. And but was, yeah. was there a B line? Uh, there was multiple lines. So that was sort of a big mantra of this event was that there was just tons of line options for everything. So maybe there was a death drop that only a few people were doing. And then there was another line across and there was another line over the ridge. And like, sometimes that line led to the bull, right? (laughs) (laughs) Accidentally. um, There was a lot of line options and a lot of different choices. And sometimes you just end up, Hey, sorry, (laughs) which happened to me. Yeah. Uh, But I just hopped back on, kept on riding with the group and uh, we dropped into this, uh, orange, orange, uh, what is it? What's an orange? Is it an orange patch? I'm from Florida. Orchard? I should know. An orange orchard. That sounds weird, doesn't it? I don't Connor, know. Is it an orange orchard? I'm the yes, Floridian. It's, it's an orchard. orchard. It's an orange orchard. Orange orchard. <laughs> Say it five times fast. Yeah, no, that's all. Right. <laughs> hey, be safe when you're right. It I is a place where oranges grow out of the ground. Rocking those jackfruit mountain bike pants. Yeah, so, so beautiful. The second echelon is always brought to you by Jack Roo Custom Apparel. I'm rocking my hoodie right now. You can get yours at the Jack Roo link on the Williams Racing Academy website. Our store is up 24 7, 
365. And it just is an awesome catalog of all the different things that Jackroo offers because Jackroo has been in business for 20 years in America. They've got an office in California. They own their own factory uh, on the other side of the world. And they get this stuff done quick. Their core focus is speed, value, and quality. And that's truly the case across the board from the design process to the ordering and shipping process. The whole thing is really so convenient that ordering custom clothing goes from a chore to being something that's fun and creative. And we love it so much. We've been blown away by the flexibility uh, and the value of Jackroo. It's made our experience completely better in every way. Um, we're rocking their pants, their hoodies off the bike. We've got shirts and polos in the works, but full suite of skin suits, race suits, training jerseys, race jerseys, race bibs. We've got cargo bibs coming. We've got uh, some new lion bibs coming as well. Uh, lots of stuff in there. Be sure to check out that store. See what you like. And if there's anything that appeals to you there, um, I would recommend you reach out to Jacker yourself and, and, and do your own kit and talk to your team about getting it done or whatever event or uh, group you're affiliated with. If you guys need cu custom cycling clothing, uh, Jackroo will get the job done and you guys will be absolutely 100% satisfied. I, I couldn't couldn't be more confident about that. It's been home run every step of the way for us, and we've been with them. We were just regular clients of theirs for a couple of years, actually, before we started a relationship with them. And uh, yeah, I, it's our values are the same. There's nobody really that we've seen. We've been around for a while. Nobody seems to compete with them effectively. Jackroo really owns the custom cycling clothing space uh, in terms of an actual practical experience perspective. And I promise you will be blown away as well. So check it out. Jack Roo, um, hit them up. It, you can also get in touch with them directly uh, with Claire or Jill, C-L-A-I-R-E at jackrousa.com or Jill, J-I-L-L -L, at jackrousa.com. They will make sure that you get where you need to go. And uh, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me directly. I'd be happy to, happy to answer them. Jack Roo is the best. Y'all show them some love. Thank you so much for your support, Jack Roo. This episode is brought to you by Belgium Racing Experience, premier racing camps in Belgium since 2011. If you're interested in going over to Belgium to check out the racing, check out the cycling culture and scene, uh, and really infuse your cycling performance and take your racing up a notch, you got to get over to Belgium. It's very cost effective. It's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a cultural experience, a bucket list item for a lot of folks. Um, guaranteed to make you faster on the bike and almost everybody wants you go once it's it's just a matter of counting down the days until we can go again next year so uh, please if you want to be a part of that our doors are open get in touch we have probably one or two spots maximum for a junior left for 22 um, we will be aim we are our aim is to expand the trip in 23 for more dates and spots for you guys uh, so if that's something that's on your list, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us so we can make sure you're in the rotation. BelgiumRacingExperience.com, Belgium Race, at Belgium Racing on Instagram. Get in touch, stay in touch, and follow along for the adventure. The second echelon is brought to you by Zim Hydration. That's Z-Y-M Hydration. It's an electrolyte tablet supplement. You drop it in your bottle, you drop it in a glass of water, and magic happens. It becomes so much more beneficial for you. It becomes tasty. Uh, it's quick. It's easy. It's inexpensive with the code Z-WRA. Use code Z-WRA at checkout with Zim to get 30% off your order and stay hydrated. We drink it on the bike, off the bike. It's pretty much the default uh, liquid hydration consumption for us. Uh, outside of outside of Osmo but you know with the Osmo for those athletes in the family will know that you really only need a full-on drink mix uh, during extreme training rides extreme whatever high intensity hydration training rides as well as race scenarios and stuff like that but pretty much the whole rest of the time you need to have some electrolytes in your water and Zim is our partner for that couldn't taste better couldn't work better couldn't be a better price 
Honestly, we love it all the way around. There's a ton of different flavors to try. They're all really good. I've been hitting the strawberry lemonade a lot lately. Tastes like Smarties to me. And they also have caffeinated flavors and immunity uh, formulas as well. So if you're looking to get a little boost of vitamins. But the other thing too I like about Zim is that it's got B vitamins and magnesium in it already uh, on top of the electrolytes. So it's not, it's not just a salt tablet, right? You're getting a lot of good stuff in there. Works really well. Tastes really good. Um, we love it. You should try it. Z-WRA at checkout with Zim Hydration gets you 30% off your order. Stay hydrated. So how did that, where, where were you about hour four, hour five? Hour four, hour five, that was after a big crash, unfortunately. Right. So about oh, two and a half okay. hours in, it sort of, we dropped into this orange place where oranges grow out of the ground, whatever it is at this point. We oh yeah, the orange of. orchard. Uh, and that was a crazy experience because you drop in there and there's just bees everywhere. They made a big point in this race. You know, if you're allergic to bees, bring an EpiPen. If you're really allergic, carry something with you. And we did drop into this orange grove. Orange grove. grove. Ah, orange grove. Orange grove. Wow. My friends from Florida are going to be ashamed of me. I'm really sorry for to that. everyone in the valley. I'm so well. sorry to everyone there. It's an orange grove, Connor. No, it's a forest. I'm pretty sure it's an orange forest. <laughs> no, no, no. It's an they orange on, forest. They grow on bushes, right? So... So you entered into the orange grove. Yeah, we dropped That's where yet another natural obstacle awaited you. (laughs) The next quest. The next quest. Side quest. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Like I mentioned, they 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 mentioned bring an epipen with you. Drop into the orange grove. Bees everywhere, smacking you in the face. I I kind of zipped up my jersey, make sure nothing gets caught in there. If it gets caught in there, it could be pretty bad. I'm not allergic. But we made it past that at that point. And um looked like people weren't – some people weren't having the greatest of times. I Other people were having amazing times. At that point, <laughs> I was passed by um, Mariah Wilson. Um, she's She actually works at Specialized as well, and she's a badass on the – uh, gravel scene. Oh, that's uh, cool. I think she came in second or third in at Leadville last year. Wow. Um, okay. Very racing cool. the Grand Prix, if if I'm not wrong. Does she race for like Specialized Factory? Um, I I could be wrong. I believe Specialized does support her in racing, apart from just being an employer. Right. Right. Um, I think she won by like 30 minutes or something like that. Oh, which is kind oh, of insane. Oh. She's super strong. She's she's another one of those athletes who we, we chatted super briefly in the race and it sounded like she was a ski racer in college. No way. Yeah. She was a ski okay. racer. I think that's what she mentioned. She was a ski racer in college and and uh uh grew up in Vermont, maybe rode bikes uh at some point, but then started racing bikes after college, funny enough. And she's a beast. So shout out to Mariah Wilson. Yeah, that's crazy. Absolutely. I don't know her super well, but uh she's an amazing athlete. From what I can tell, that's and, crazy and a nice person. Yeah, yeah, yeah for well, sure. Maybe we'll have you uh, pull a pull a favor on that one. And <laughs> yeah, we can sit down and have a chat with her. I'd yeah, love to hear. Cool. I'm just—it's fascinating to me because I grew up inside of cycling. Right. Uh, I, there was no choice for me um, to not know about cycling. It was just in the air that I was breathing. I definitely had a choice as to whether or not. I was going to compete. That was never forced on me by any means. But I will say that, you know, it was, I I started learning how to do the job I'm doing right now before I was 10 years old in, in all, for all respects, because we, my dad was running an elite amateur team at the time. And our house was kind of the home base, a lot like this house is now. I mean, there was a little seven-year-old running around and hanging out with you and hanging out with Connor and hanging out with Jordan. Like they're going to know about cycling, you know what I mean? And and the things that are going on. Right. Exactly. And, and I love it. Right. Otherwise I wouldn't be, wouldn't be doing this. And a lot of times, you know, one of, one of the biggest issues that we deal with systemically in cycling is the fact that not a lot of people do it. Right. Uh, sure, there's more people now on bikes than ever, but as a, from a cultural perspective, it's not an immensely popular sport necessarily, uh, not to the degree that it is in other parts of the world. And it's always been a little bit curious to me, for sure, how people find this sport 
um, with absolutely no background or context in it. And specifically what was appealing to them to the degree that they went out and spent money on a bike and started riding regularly. Now, I know a lot of people will get into it from commuting. I know a lot of people will get into it from hurting their knees and running, or a lot of people will get into it because they were somehow got into triathlon and they just liked cycling better than the other two. So you just drop the running and swimming for some people, but to come from, from a different sport is, is, is definitely is definitely the most interesting to me because I it's also appealed to me in certain senses. I mean, I haven't pursued it to a great degree, but I have also like the idea of competing in Brazilian jiu-jitsu is also very appealing to me um, as an adult. And it probably will be until I do it. And, and I want to do that and do it well at some point in my adult life. Right. But to pivot so successfully uh, from a high level in one sport to a high level in a completely unrelated sport is something that's really interesting, especially to understand because cycling ha- is so multifaceted in what brings people together and uh, and what attracts people about it. I mean, cycling is really something different to everybody. Uh, and, and that might seem like kind of a, a shallow statement, but it really is true in, in the sense that it for some people it's means to relieve anxiety for other people it's means to maintain just some semblance of physical health for other people it's socialization for other people it's a competitive outlet for other people it's a career for other people it's just something that they do every now and again when they go camping transportation transportation right? some people it's commuting and and it's just and it's just fascinating too because people from all different ends of the spectrum will find themselves sometimes called into riding in a way that then like when you have the feeling of like, I want to be faster. Yeah. And that, that you're kind of in at that point. Yeah. Right? It's an, it, it, well, cycling is interesting. I think it's an easy funnel because mm-hmm. cycling in and of itself is so fun, at least to me. Right. If you approach it from that perspective, right. The idea of getting on a bike and going on a bike ride I think everybody at some point had the moment in their life. Uh, and if they haven't yet, I hope they do. And But a majority of people had that moment where they learned to ride a bike. I think everybody had that moment at, at the baseline. That's kind of the big connecting factor. Mm-hmm. And from there, there's so many different avenues that every kind of person can sort of find their thing within cycling. Right. Uh, and it's right. There's a barrier to entry in terms of buying a bike and those sorts of things. But once you have a bike and once you get the equipment, you really just go out and ride. Mm -hmm. Um, And from there, I think at some point um, it clicks again, right? That people can be competitive again in a sport or do something like that, especially after college, right? We're talking about this transition from moving from high level athletics in one sport to another. Um, I've heard of many people who finish, finish uh, their athletic careers in college and at some point they start riding a bike for fun and then it clicks that they want to still be competitive. Right. There's, they end up as pros, right? Exactly. Uh, because it, there's so many sports like wrestling is probably one of my favorite examples. Uh, track and field is another one, but, but in, in the sense of uh, like collegiate wrestling or high school wrestling, there is no professional version of that. There is just the Olympics and, and that's it. Uh, so it's really tricky. Um, you know, curling is kind of the same way. There is no professional, you know, regular curling. All those people have part-time jobs. Um, and it's kind of an, it's kind of an interesting pursuit in that way for the most part, but you know, with, you know, track and field and I mean, even just regular old football, I mean, what the, what the percentage of people that go into the professional ranks of any sport, if there even are professional ranks of that sport, are is is extremely small. And so then you have what you were kind of talking about, all of these high level athletes that just kind of go out and have to really shift gears and 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 for a lot of people I think could you know kind of become something they're not just because that outlet wasn't, you know, necessarily available uh for them to continue doing. Now, that's not to say that if you're an athlete the only thing that you do with your life should be be an athlete. Yeah. You know what I mean? You should, definitely... I think there's some people though, that that is all they want to do. Right. Sure. And, totally. and, and who's to say, 
you know, that you can't, that you can't pursue that. And I think what, to what you're getting at is that cycling is this really unique sport where you can go pro from virtually any angle you start at, uh, as long as there's some level of regular racing in your part of the world. Exactly. And I think cycling too, at least in my experience, is such a direct sort of feedback sport in that you put in work, right? You do the intervals, you sleep, you eat, and you get good results, right? There's, there's other stuff involved, but at the base level, if you can ignore the other things, if you can ignore the feed, the, if you can ignore the static and, and focus on doing your intervals, riding easy when you need to, resting and eating, you'll get faster. And you obviously have a genetic, you know, ceiling at some point, but you will get faster. Mm -hmm. And the funny part is that there, there's people who may not be super gifted genetically, but that still have great success in cycling because it's a sport that really rewards hard work. Right. And I think of it uh, to the point that you were getting at. I like to think of it in, in the terms of uh, development cycling in the U.S., right? I like to think about it in terms of the athletic development stream in the U.S. just because that's where we're at and there's some issues. Exactly. And there's some issues in cycling development, but maybe those issues or gaps can be filled for now, right? Uh, because at a baseline level, you think about it, there's tons and tons of athletes at the high school level. And I say the high school level because that's where sort of that first proving ground is. Like you move on to the next step or you don't, you know, whether you go on to college athletics, maybe you're super gifted and go on straight to professionals. But from there, you go on to the next level. Maybe of those thousands and thousands of athletes who play sports in high school, whatever it is, maybe 10% of those move on to college, right? And and move on to college to play sports, whether that's at the division three, division two, division one NCAA level, you know, maybe 10%, right? And that's still a very big pool. You have hundreds of thousands of NCAA athletes, if not millions. I mean, there's a lot of people playing sports at a high level collegiately mm -hmm. who wake up every day, taking it super seriously and wanting nothing but to be the best athlete that they can be in their, right. in, in their own sport and in their own world. And from those already select few who moved on to college, only maybe half a percent right? Of those people, maybe half a percent of those people will get to move on to the next level of their sport, whether that's professional, whether it's the Olympics or whatever. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of athletes out there who once they get to the end of college, and as I'm sure there were athletes like that in high school, once they get to the end of their college careers, that's it. You know, they, they just want to like, they just want to live normal lives, work, maybe have a sport here or there. But for every one of those, I think there's a lot of athletes out there who want to continue to be athletes, but, you know, their roads have sort of narrowed. Right. And at a baseline level, what are the chances that this person who's already proved they're an athlete above others because they've gotten to this collegiate level? What are the chances that the sport that they chose is a sport that they're best at? Right. Uh, That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. Yeah. For sure. And, and I'm not saying cycling... Cycling is the, the option for everyone, but I think cycling is there to provide an avenue that is number one, super fun, right? Like training and, and if you're doing it right and riding bikes is just at a baseline level, really fun. Yeah. I think if, if you have somebody who's even mildly athletically inclined uh, and is not, is of the mind to be open to and have fun during an endurance activity because that's not for everybody. Uh, pretty much every legitimate athlete yeah. will need to have some component of that in your training. Even if you play pool, even if you play esports. because as we were talking about the other day, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the reasons, for instance, that you see <clears throat> athletes in these kind of fringe sports test positive at the Olympics, when you would think, you know, they're, in what way does steroids or some type of uh, aerobic booster benefit an athlete in say figure skating or like curling, like we mentioned. And a lot of what it comes down to is that, you know, a lot of people bulk 
or idolize, depending on what angle you're coming at it, the whole 20 hours a week, 25 hours a week. There's people that are going to hear that you're doing 25 hours a week or more. And, and they're going to be like, whoa, whoa like, well, it's crazy. Yeah, it is just one week, right? Don't don't yeah. believe the social media hype. Uh, but it's not just an endurance aerobic sport does require a lot of training time, just doing the actual activity. But the reality is that a professional athlete in any sport is going to be putting about that amount of time in to physical training, skills training, underlying athletic training, and so on and so forth. Uh, and that's essentially what, what you're getting at here is that people who have a background in this and actually enjoy this, but struggle to find an outlet to continue that routine and that relationship with themselves and that competitive relationship and that avenue of of meaning and like excitement and joy and development physically. Um, there's not a lot of ways you can do that as an adult, just openly. Of course, there's like rec basketball and there's rec flag football and you know, various other things that you can do. But outside of that, you know, what there's, I guess there's CrossFit. There's, you know, there's basically just other endurance sports kind of, yeah. and I guess that's probably, Probably why I get a big part of the reason why they're so popular in the United States, even though simultaneously they're kind of unpopular. Yeah. Right. Is because the reality is I think a lot more people, even people who live sedentary lifestyles are a lot more competitive or would derive a lot of joy and meaning from engaging in a competitive pursuit. Well, there's utterly nothing competitive about their life as they live it. And not everybody's inherently competitive, sure, but I think everybody who strives to do something well at the end of the day will realize that other people are striving to do the same thing and there will be a level of competition inherent in virtually every pursuit you do because if you're doing something that you care about, you're not going to want to do it poorly. And the judge of really ultimately the quality of whatever you're doing is how does it stack up against the other stuff that's been done in that field before, mm-hmm. you know, and by, you know, anytime you're having some kind of objective contrast or compare and contrast analysis that you are in a sense, it's beneficial. It's, it's beneficial, right? It's, yeah. it's supposed to be a constructive thing. Well, when you do things that are hard, all of a sudden uh, things that were hard before seem easy. Right? Exactly. That's kind of, if you, if you get to test yourself, on a daily basis and uh, be able to, for me, exert myself to my full potential and see what my body can do and do really hard stuff, then the other stuff seems kind of easy and you get to really enjoy it. Right. Um, and especially if you have an opportunity where you can finally connect it right, mm-hmm. and, and live a life that feeds into what, mm-hmm. what you want to do, cycling, ride bikes. So what do you think the great. movement should be like pit, pit, petition to get cycling into the NCAA. That's what I don't know. You know, I, that's what I don't know. Uh, I don't think it has, I don't think it needs to be get cycling into the NCAA, but maybe people who are invested and interested in the development of cycling in America should be going to top universities to uh, see if other, if people want to be athletes. I mm-hmm. mean, like, and they, if they want to continue, that's I mean, a good point. I, like, I, I think that, that part I can't answer. You know, mm-hmm. I can, I totally can see what I'm experiencing right now and experience what I'm experiencing right now and say, and know for a fact that there's other athletes out there, mm-hmm. um, who, who likely would likely would want to do this. And I mean, in cycling, uh, there's people who I look to mm-hmm. who are inspirational to me, who have done it. Um, mm-hmm. and these aren't people I know very well. I mean, there's Isabel King, I think is one that people know on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she's somebody who, from what I understand, went to Columbia and played soccer and now is racing gravel at the highest level in America. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, who's the other woman? Mariah and Mariah Wilson, Mariah Wilson. Uh, Wilson. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, rides for specialized and mm-hmm. was at the rock cobbler, same sort of thing. It's mm-hmm. people who, I don't remember did, I don't think Lael Wilcox was like a junior racer. Yeah, or anything I, like I believe Lael Wilcox started race, started racing. I think she started riding bikes for transportation at 22 or wow. something like that. Right. Too. Right. Because she didn't drive. And it's an interesting thing too. You know, in my position, you look at, look at the world tour riders and what age they started riding. And a lot of them started riding 
in their college days. Well, what about Primos, right? Right. Primos Roglic was a ski jumper. Right. Right. Now and he's then, 27. And somebody, you know, the average person is going to like want to interrupt and be like, oh, but what about, you know, uh, what about Pogachar? Right. What about Tom Pidcock? What about these super young all-star guys? You know, uh, who's the oh, man? Who's the there's a, there's another guy. I mean, to the to the same conversation, actually, to split the difference between, you know, the Primus Roglic, who's actually not that old. When you think yeah, about I think it. he's 27. Yeah, right? I'm 27. Uh, and, and the guys who are just super young all-stars, right? The 19, 20, 21-year-old, truly exceptional guys, right? The Vanderpoles, for instance. Now, he's got pretty much over a decade of experience at this point, so it's not necessarily all that difficult to see, but still the level of performance that he's able to achieve at such a young age is unique. But Remco Evenepoel is one that is fits well in this conversation because he played for the Belgian national team in, uh, in soccer and football over oh, there, wow. uh, until he was uh, 17, I think. Wow. And then transitioned into cycling and then broke everything and went world tour right. <laughs> like nine, right. I think. Um, right. and now he's, he's winning races regularly for yeah. Kunik, Right. But there, that is to say that, <clears throat> you know, to be successful in cycling, you don't have to have done this from a young age. In fact, the most successful people at cycling, uh, hold off or by chance or intentionally, uh, investing fully in the training of the sport until you've reached a certain level of physical and emotional maturity that the three to four years of consistent pressure you need to apply is sustainable in your life. And there's other things that go into that too, you know, relationship considerations, financial considerations, living situation considerations, work school situation, right? Like it's, it's a difficult thing to, to position correctly. And it's in some sense easier to look at it like, oh, you can get a lot done while you're just going to school and, you know, live with your parents or whatever. But the reality is that, you know, you're not going to want to just keep doing this forever and ever and ever if, your goal is to turn pro, but you're physically and emotionally incapable of doing that. So it's really what, what you see with these guys who come at it late is that they have the same drive that a lot of these young talents do, but they wait to do that work until they're fully or at least closer to fully developed physically and emotionally. Um, and that's, I think, to your point, a real message of hope that like maybe we have an untapped recruitment pool for elite level cyclists in uh, a collegiate athletics. I really think we do, right? I really think we do. And I think maturity is the key in terms for cycling, right? I think cycling is just a sport that, as you mentioned, uh, really benefits from approaching it from a mature uh, mindset. And I think there's those superstars who have tons of talent and are able to approach it from that mature mindset from a really, really early age, like Egan Bernal rings, rings in my yeah, head. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, people like that who, who succeed and succeed for a really, really long time in other sports like LeBron James, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of just drawing some parallels there. But for cycling and for American cycling, you know, we have this development method that is developing athletes essentially to get six years out of them in a sport uh, at a college level. And like I mentioned, for many, many people just sort of drop off in terms of athletic support and athletic endeavors, there's already this huge thing that's developing, this huge force, the NCAA, athletes. that's developing athletes from the age of 14 on in the United States. There's proof that you can get into cycling late and succeed at a very high level. You know, cycling is a really fun sport for athletes who still want to be athletes to get into, mm-hmm. especially when you have gravel and stuff where, you know, there's not a lot of sports where you can be somebody who has never raced a race before, sign up and line up with the best people who are doing that yeah. sport. That's fantastic. You know, there's yeah. not a lot of sports that you can do that. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying like everyone should go do that, but I mean, there's, that's like there's it's easily accessible it's hard not to once you're once you've bought into the idea of going to events it's hard not for one of these to become a bucket list and then once you experience it once it's like it's akin to going to nationals or going to belgium it's it's a whole different frequency that really is is i i don't i mean i don't know what to compare it to really it's it's fantastic i mean there's a reason that people 
you know, end up trying to shape most of their lives around this stuff is because it's yeah. a lot of fun. It's yeah. a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun in the people you meet, the people you get to do it with mm -hmm. and to approach it with an already like uh, with an already sports originated mindset, mm -hmm. get into this sport later on at, at the age of 22, which doesn't seem very later on to me, you know, that that's mm -hmm. really young. We're thinking athletes don't hit their prime until 30, right? Right. That's a great time for, for people in America to, to start investing some money into making these people and turning these people into cyclists. Right. Uh, I don't know what that looks like, but I'm saying there's a huge talent pool there. Mm -hmm. We're wondering why maybe we're not succeeding at the level uh, that other countries are in cycling and why that is. And obviously there's a bit of a barrier to entry and some other development. Um, yeah. And like, we're not really going to do anything. We're, we're not going to be able to move the needle real far culturally. Yeah. I don't think in America, but I do think that we, you know, from USA cycling's angle, from, you know, people like us who are, who are trying to complete the pathway yeah. with or without USA cycling's help. And then as well as plugging into, athletes that are being developed in other sports that don't find a future that's viable uh, for, for their situation, whether the professional angle doesn't exist or there's not really a big amateur uh, a scene for it or whatever. Um, you know, cycling is really a place where just about anybody from any background, any age, any shape or size can find a home, anything from, you know, road crit racing to enduro to, you know, ultra endurance gravel to, you know, bike packing point of like, what was that pinions and yeah. pines thing? Yeah. You did? I did. Yeah. And, then, and I mean, to that point, right. Like I think, I think cycling is fun at any level and we can get into that pinions <laughs> and pines. I think cycling is fun at any level. And I think that everybody can benefit from mm -hmm. it. And I know a lot of people who have been getting into cycling through the pandemic and a lot of people who are, who are really high level athletes who now just use cycling sort of as their outlet mm -hmm. after they're done at the highest level. But there's a lot of people out there who I think feel like me, where there's this force that makes you feel like there's nothing more that you want to be than just like an athlete. And mm -hmm. there's nothing more that you want to do than to live that life of, of prepping your gear before an event and going to bed early so that you can hit the intervals. There's not a lot, you know, there's, there's no explanation for why, but I know that there's a lot of people out there like that. And for those people, I think cycling is an amazing sport to channel that and do that through. And I think we can get some really successful cyclists come out of that mm -hmm. uh, sort of mindset. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a really great avenue because we all know that we don't know why we do it. Like you mentioned, we don't know why we're so attracted to the bike, but we are. And in that same sense, we don't know people uh, who strive to be athletes. We don't know what it's like, or we don't know why, mm -hmm. right? Like, why are we, why are we really doing any of this? Right. Mm -hmm. But there's a force there pushing us to train every single day and, and channel that into cycling and you can really succeed and really have a great time. Right. That's the biggest part about it is mm -hmm. for me is, is I do want to be a high level athlete, but at the end of the day, riding a bike is so fun that I'm going to have a good time regardless of quote unquote success or failure. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be a great time. And um, for that reason, I think it's such a great Avenue for people to get into uh re get into high level athletics mm -hmm. succeed and um, maybe we'll have better American cyclists because of it. Yeah, no. And I can say, you know, as somebody who was kind of born into the sport, you know, we're, we're super lucky to have people like you to make that transition and have these new perspectives and new ideas and really to be able to share, you know, your mindset with us, because it's, it's a powerful thing, especially when you're looking at trying to, to be uh, the best that you can be and reach the the limit of your, of your potential in, in terms of performance and success and stuff like that. And remember that, you know, at the, at the end of the day, that is still supposed to be fun. And, and those can seem kind of oxymoronic, but you're, you're living proof that you can actually do both of those things very well simultaneously. And it's not something that necessarily happens by accident, but you, you, it's something to be practiced and you practice it very well. So. The second echelon is now brought to you by Yellow Rose Cycling Wheels. Yellow Rose Cycling Wheels is a Texas-based custom handmade wheel builder. Oscar Salazar is his name. He is one of our folks in our Williams Racing Academy family. And I gotta say, the bling that he produces is top notch. We're really excited about this because 
It's one of the things that dad and I've been talking about doing for a while is starting some hand-built wheel services because for the longest time, uh, what we prefer to ride is training wheels or just basic rims laced up to some high quality but durable hubs and then racing on uh, kind of the same thing wherein we want some deeper carbon rims with the lace and spoke count that we want and also the hubs that we want. And now you can do that. You're not locked into paying manufacturer prices for um, an equipment setup that is pre-selected. You can now optimize every aspect. I mean, you have been for a while, right? Like hand-built wheels is not anything new. But for those of you who have ventured into this world before, just like anything else, there's uh, there's some better and there's some worse. And honestly, since Oscar has started this, Yellow Rose Cycling Wheels, make sure you follow him on Instagram. Uh, this uh, we're, There's no point for us to do it anymore. He's literally doing the highest possible quality hand build process you can do with the highest possible quality materials and uh, his service is really second to none so if you're looking to get a set of wheels built or if you're in the market for purchasing a new set of wheels highly recommend that you hit up oscar at yellow rose cycling wheels and uh, just have a quick conversation with him and see you know if there's anything that couldn't that might be more optimal than the wheels that you were looking at something that's a little bit more special a little bit more personal and works better for you and who knows um, chances are the prices are probably going to be pretty competitive and now you have something that's yours uh, something that's perfect for you and not just uh, not just the same thing as everybody else. Uh, to that end, you know, there's certain advantages if you're a heavier rider or if you prefer more stiffness or if you're looking for a particular type of hub to go for a particular go with a particular type of rim, this is how you can make it happen. So Yellow Rose Cycling Wheels, so excited to have Oscar in the family and so excited for him to be working with us on the podcast here. The wheels that he's built me are my daily training wheels right now. I've got some Knox rims laced up to some Onyx hubs. They are so badass. Um, actually, my dad gave them to me as a gift. I think they were originally for him. But at any rate, I'm the beneficiary of this and I cannot speak more highly of Yellow Rose Cycling Wheels. Best wheels in the game, hand-built right here in Texas. Hit up Oscar if you're in the market. Thank you, Yellow Rose. As always, the Second Echelon is the flagship podcast of the Williams Racing Academy. That's us. World-class cycling coaching and training for athletes of all levels since 1999. This is what we do all day, every day. Work with athletes one-on-one, -on -one, provide custom training plan, and one-on-one -on -one feedback and communication to guide you through whatever your goals may be, on or off the bike, in or out of racing. If it's on two wheels, we're here for it. Get in touch with us today. We also offer bike fitting, one-on-one -on -one skills coaching, whether that be on the mountain or the road. We've got mindset consultations. We've got a whole host of services. Head on over to our website, williamsracingacademy.com. Meet our coaches, check out our services, join the family today. We'd love to have you because this really isn't, it. while it's called Williams Racing Academy, like we've talked about in this episode, it's for, it's for everybody on a bike, right? So if you're wanting to be faster, if you want to have better balance, if you want to have better health, uh, this is, this is what we do. Get in touch with us and we will help guide you along the way. WilliamsRacingAcademy.com. Use code UNCRUSTABLE on your intake form to waive your initiation fee. So all of that then, all of that beautiful language about this lifestyle we live led you to the Orange Grove of Bees. Yes, the Orange Grove of Bees. <laughs> so let's, let's take it right there. I appreciate you letting me run off on that one. It's, it's, it's No, that was one of the main cool topics we were going to get to. And totally. we're just going to have to save pinions and pines for another episode. For some other time, yeah. Now, right? Uh, but uh, so at this point, right, we were at some point getting close to two hours into the race. Uh, there was the crumbling lead group. Uh, I and some guys had made it up to them. Uh, Mariah Wilson, the 2B women's leader, had caught up with us. We're all riding together, having a great time. Uh, I noticed that we had about a 1,200 foot climb coming up uh, in the next 10 or so miles with some descent leading up to it. Mm. Uh, because of my background, I um, I see myself as a pretty strong technical descender. Starting in enduro. Exactly, exactly. And, 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 and yeah, exactly. So starting in enduro, 
And I decided or thought that it would be a good idea to attack at this point. And this was, this is why this is a cool race for me to experience because, uh, in my head up to this point, I, I didn't necessarily see myself as being capable. Not that I didn't necessarily see myself as being capable, but I hadn't had a test yet to see where I fit in, in terms of riding with people who, uh, who you would classify it being at a really high level. Um, and I thought that I needed to get some time on this descent in order to, in order to hit that climb strong, maybe sag it a little bit and, and stick with these people to the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, uh, we hit this very rough single track section on drop bar bikes, a uh, group of about 10 of us. And you decided to, I was second it. wheel yeah, okay. at this point. And I was, I knew that climb was coming up. And at this point I did decide to send it and just go for it, uh, on the side. I made the successful move. Um, but I realized my, my key mistake was that I, I sort of underestimated myself a little bit. And it's weird for me to say, I, you know, I, I do try to like stay humble in most situations, but I did underestimate myself. And it's funny to have video evidence of that underestimation. Um, cause vegan cyclist was behind me at that point. And, you know, I, I was convinced that I needed this gap that I needed this gap. turns out we already had a big gap on that descent, uh, me and that other guy. And, and I probably could have just chilled out, but, um, that move cost me quite a bit. So uh, you were pushing to get an advantage that you actually already had. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that I probably didn't need, right? I, right. I, that was a great learning experience for me because it resulted in me hitting the ground super hard. <laughs> it resulted in me hitting the ground super hard. Well, That's like my, what learning feels like. It was the hardest crash since my surgery, my shoulder surgery. So it resulted in me hitting the ground really hard um, little on an off camber right hand turn hmm. um, that snuck up on me. Another mistake, I just, I didn't check the course all the way. I knew there was a climb coming up, but I didn't look at my map to see kind of what direction we needed to take. Mm. Got caught by surprise uh, after I established a little bit of a, of a lead there and just went down really hard. Oh. Um, that point bars turned. Um, it was funny because I, I hit the ground, I stood up and as soon as I stood up, my body cramped. So I just fell Ooh. over again and it made me look, it made me look terrible. I assumed <laughs> the people who were passing me, I was like, no, I'm good. Thumbs up. <laughs> Um, so that was a moment where I, I had to sort of re reassess, uh, kind of like assess myself. I was good. I, I hit my head a little bit. That's what the helmet's there for. I was totally fine from that. Um, and, uh, <laughs> fortunately I lost my lowest three gears on my bike. Mm. So I couldn't shift into my 48 or 50. The derailleur um, hanger. Yeah. My derailleur hanger bent pretty, pretty bad. And also all my limit screws just got totally, totally, uh, cranked because of it. Um, oh. And we had a lot of climbing left in the day. I think uh, at the end, this route had about, uh, I want to say, 12,000 feet of climbing. Ooh, I, don't, I, I don't know if that's correct. We'll have to double check. On that. But it had lot. a lot of climbing and yeah. a lot of really steep climbing. Mm -hmm. I lost my biggest gears. Mm. Uh, so at that point, I, I lost about another four or five minutes just right there, you know. Picking up scraps off the ground. Oh, my dyno plug's there. This is here. <laughs> I hit the ground pretty hard. I had some blood coming out. And, Wipe myself up, reassess, and just said, hey, okay, came here to go deep, came here to have fun, keep doing that. And uh, I just, you know, they had some steep climbs. I, I made the call at that point, right? You kind of reassess your situation. Yeah. And, and at that point, effectively, you're going to plan B. There, there wasn't a plan B. There's, yeah. you, I yeah. want to go full send in plan A. I, right. I did that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that. But you have to reassess at that point and sort of... Uh, Figure, refigure out what you're going to do when you're, when you hit the ground hard, you lost touch of the, the group that you were hoping to stick with. Yeah. You're down some gears. Um, you just cramped the whole bunch and you still have three hours, three hours and some change effectively of some racing. Oof. So, um, and I, I, I think I've gotten good at that of, of, you know, being able to control my reactions a bit in those situations. Absolutely. Um, and just chilled out and decided that the plan was to just go deep and have fun. And that's what I was going to do. And, and, and from that moment on, it was, it was just trudging forward, right? Yeah. If I couldn't pedal up, I was going to run up with my bike on my shoulder. I ended up at that point, uh, pretty soon after that, like 30 minutes after that, catching a, a small group that had, uh, Ashton Lambie in it. Oh yeah. Uh, which was really fun. I, I got to ride pretty much the rest of the race with Ashton, uh, Lambie. He's a super, super strong dude. Definitely. Um, and, uh, really cool person to talk to and like really open about his athletic endeavors and the hard work that it took him to get to that point. And it was cool to 
to kind of chit chat back and forth and get a little bit of insight in, in what it takes to be at the level that he's at and has uh, been at super recently in terms of the world record. So, mm -hmm. so it was really cool to do that. And really the whole rest of the day was just have fun and go deep. And that's what I did. And luckily I had a great pace partner to help me go deep, um, especially in some of the final road yeah, climbs. That's cool. And the rest of the three hours were just eating as much as I can, drinking as much as I possibly can, um, keeping an eye on the bike, making sure that things stayed working okay. Yeah, damaged, um, but uninjured. Yeah, I, I did have to make a chase a little bit here and there on some climbs that I couldn't climb up, that I had to run up with my bike Oof. because of it. Um, but in the end, we sweeped up a good amount of that crumbling group. And really? because I started five minutes back on everybody, yeah. I was effectively five minutes ahead of everybody in the first wave that I caught. So ended up with a solid result. I, I ended up with 19th on the day. Wow. Um, Heck yeah, dude. Which was really cool. Uh, just a really, really Finger. solid, solid little result. I think... I think Second I, gravel race ever? Uh, yeah, that was second. That was my second, second gravel race ever. It was was uh, <laughs> the rock cobbler. Dude. Oh my God. I don't know if you can classify it as a gravel race. It's a, yeah, it's a mixed, mixed surface. surface adventure. Yeah, you know what? And I'm here it. for that. I like that. I like that. Stuff. Mixed surface is what it's all about, man. It, there's nothing better than just being able to have one bike that can go on everything. It really is. It really harkens back to like the sense of adventure. Yeah. I think that is one of the most powerful sort of aspects of cycling compared to other sports. Absolutely. You know, a pitch is a pitch is a pitch. A field is a field is a field. But, uh, you know, a pool is a pool is a pool. A track is a track. So on and so forth. But no two courses are alike. Exactly. I always said like right with my athletic background, I always say I, I would – you wouldn't catch me like going out on a Sunday to 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 throw hammers with the buds, you know, like, oh, we're just going to go out and casually throw some hammers. Right. You know, <laughs> but you can just go out and casually well, ride a bike with some friends at any moment of any day, no matter how much you're training, you can go and have a blast. And, you know, whether that's a coffee shop ride or whether that's a single track adventure or go to a downhill park or something like that. Right. There's so many different things. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yeah, it was just about having fun. Connor knows, right? Yeah. Connor has all the fun. Yeah, What's the just, first rule? Speaking of fun, y'all, I just got back from some serious product testing. Okay. So, uh, you know, I figured, you know, I, I want to try crashing in these pants. Uh, so I, so did you, I you did crash in those pants. Intentionally hit a patch of leaves. Intentionally. Uh, it was yeah. All, it was this was all by design. It was all by design. <laughs> product testing. It looks, it looks fine. It's fine. There's no holes. There's no scuffing. That's how hard I went down. I oh, your phone is messed up. I dented my phone case real bad. Because the phone's messed up. But the pants are peachy, man. You can't even tell. Look at they're, that. They're a little dusty. How about that? You gotta stop bibs, hanging out with me, man. My bibs, which are delicate and expensive, are very safe. Well, good. Beautiful. That's a move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a move. But yeah, right. no, I mean, trail fun, pants. Right? Like 42 minute recovery spin. We hit some single track. We got some. Yeah, we explore. In. explore. It was good. Hit some ground. Hit some ground. We <laughs> hugged, <laughs> we Mother Earth. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, unfortunately, I have a hard out. Wow, that clap was loud. I have to have to edit that out. <laughs> um, but I have a hard out. Martin, thank you so much for joining us yeah. today. Next time, we'll, we'll bring you back to talk about pinions and pines. Hopefully, you get your I'm altitude excited. camp set up soon. And uh, yeah, you'll be joining us for a lot more in the future. So thank you, my friend. This was awesome. One more ride before we're done here in Texas. 30 hours of death. Yeah, first time. <laughs> we'll see how it goes after that. All right. Love y'all. See you Later. on the next episode.